good to be with you this morning. Um, as he said, I'm Chris Rodriguez. I'm the I'm the I'm about to say I'm the youth pastor. No, I'm I'm the pastor in Chalmette. But um, there's a lot of faces here I don't know, and there's a lot of faces I've known for a long time. I'm telling you, when Miss Barrow, I, I call her Miss Hill. It's a little strange for me to say Miss Barrow, but when she was talking, I was back at class. When she was up here teaching, I'm like, I'm not gonna get tested on this. I need to pay attention. Um, man, it's it's awesome to see. One thing I gotta admit though is, um, one of the things, as he said, ministry is kind of like in our DNA. Um, I feel like I've got a master's degree in just church life, you know. Um, and the thing I think that God honors above all else is faithfulness. Um, and you have two of the most faithful pastors, two of the most faithful people that I know of. Um, just consistent. And they I've known them before they went to the tabernacle. I was in the same grade as their daughter Michelle forever. Um, and uh, I go way back with that, with the Lukinovich family. So, But it's an honor to be here with you this morning. Um, God is good. There's a presence of God in this place, and I think he wants to do something, so I'm not going to keep pleasantries going. I'm just going to start preaching. Is that okay? Okay, good. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here. Father, I thank you that you have a word. I believe it's for right here and right now. I pray that you would anoint me to say what you once said, nothing more, nothing less. So every person under the sound of my voice leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more, because this is none of my opinion or theology, but it's all yours. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. If you're taking notes, if you like titles or whatever you want to call it, uh, you could title this, Let Not Your Heart. Let Not Your Heart. I think you and I can agree. And if you want to disagree, I mean, I'll, I'll let you, but I'll think you're crazy. The last 22 months have been pretty ridiculous. Right? Like, on a, on a big picture scale, the last 22 months have been pretty ridiculous whether you want to talk about the pandemic you want to talk about the race tension whether you want to talk about the political tension whether you want to talk about the tropics and the hurricanes it, it doesn't matter the last 22 months have been absolutely ridiculous and that's not discussing anything to do with personal life right like if none of us had anything personal happen in the last 22 months we would all need a vacation just from the big picture stuff. Then you add, that's why I gave that word a minute ago to worship God specifically because the big picture stuff has been so chaotic that a lot of times we forget that he's not just God of the big stuff, he's God of the little stuff. But once you add the little things to the big things, that's why there's so many people right now in church that are depressed. There's some people in church. I think there's, there's been an assignment of the spirit of heaviness against the church across the nation, really, for about the last year. Because there's been so many reasons you shouldn't come to church. There's been so many legitimate reasons. See, I'm big on the difference in reasons and excuses, right? As, as a leader, you can give me a reason you're late or you can give me an excuse you're late. The excuses are never good. The reasons usually work. Right? The excuse is not, I, I, I didn't wake up on time. No, no, that's, that's lame. 
The reason is my phone charger went out and it, my phone died. That's a reason, right? So there have been legitimate reasons for people to stay home or take an extra job or go for, oh, there's been legitimate reasons. And the enemy said, I'm going to use this. I'm going to take it to my advantage. And I'm going to make it as difficult as possible for the body of Christ to live victorious. See, he knows he can't change us and our standing with God. You do realize the enemy can't make you unrighteous. You know that, right? He can't change your position as a son or a daughter and an heir in Christ. But what he can do is he can convince you that that status doesn't impact you today, right here and right now. He can convince you and deceive you to the point that I know that I, I'm, I'm right standing with God. I know that I'm sanctified. I know that I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I know that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I know that I'm more than a conqueror, but I, I, I'm just not going to feel it for this season. This is just not my season to experience it. And the enemy has lied to people so much. And, and this passage of Scripture, it's one of the ones I went to. The church had a school years ago. I went to the school, and um, this was one of the chapters I remember having to memorize for a grade. John chapter 14. Not the whole chapter, but I believe it's first. My iPad is going crazy right now, and I can't get it to be quiet. <laughs> Devil. Anyway. Go to John chapter 14 for me. We're going to start in verse 1. We're just going to go from 1 to 3 today. We're not going to have a ton of uh, scripture. We're going to hang out in kind of one or two spots. But John 14 chapter 1, not, sorry, John 14 verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. First off, why is Jesus telling the disciples, let not your heart be troubled? I'm a very systematic, extremely fundamental and, and almost repetitious and, and sometimes even a boring Bible reader. Because I will read the same verse over and over and over and over and over again because I want to make sure I understand exactly what they're saying, who they're saying it to, why they're saying it, right? And a lot of people don't realize that when the, these letters were written, they were written as letters, not chapters. So we need, when you're truly studying Scripture, ignore the chapter breaks. And ignore the verse numbers. So John 14.1 is just a continuation of chapter 13. So why is Jesus telling the disciples, let not your heart be troubled, right? That's basically why is someone saying, don't be scared? Well, the only reason I'm going to tell you to not be scared is because there's probably a legitimate reason you should be. Right? Like you don't go give your kids Christmas presents and say, hey, don't be scared. <laughs> you don't do that. No, what you, what you will do is if you're about to go on a roller coaster with your kid and you're trying to you know, push the envelope a little, hey, baby, don't be scared. Why? Well, because this is probably going to freak you out in a second. But you don't need to be scared because it's okay. Jesus is saying, don't be scared. Why? Because there's apparently a legitimate reason they should be. Well, what's the legitimate reason? Let's get a little context here. John, John's gospel is, the, is probably the one that's in the most out of order, not out of order, but a different order than the other three. Because the perspective is different. So John 13 is the Last Supper. 
So now we know the Last Supper, right? Jesus, he, this is my body, this is my blood. We know this, and he, he says, I'm about to be given up to be taken captive. I'm, I'm not going to be with you anymore. And Peter, you're going to deny me. One of you guys is going to betray me. Don't be scared. That, that's, that's literally what happens. Jesus is like, here's all this scary stuff that's about to happen, but don't be scared. And there's a reason that Jesus is, is driving this point home, and we've got to catch it. We've got to make sure we grab it. So I want to break it down a little bit. Let's go verse 1. The word let there in the Greek is the word terasso. Now, I learned something very interesting studying this. Though, so let not your heart be troubled, right? The word let is terasso, but the word troubled is actually terasso too. Because the word let is a word of permission, right? So, for example, in Genesis 1, when God says, let there be light, God didn't create light. God just let light happen because light was already in him. So you didn't, when, when I would ask my mom, can I go sleep at my friend's house, she wouldn't be me. She would let me. She would give permission so the word let is the word of permission. So what happens is, in this verse, the word let is permission. Whatever you're letting, the word let becomes that. So it's saying, let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. Well, the word terasso means to be, stirred, to be stirred or shaken up. Like if you took a 20-ounce Coke or a 2 and you just shook it up like crazy. That, let not your heart become that. Let not your heart become a two-liter that you've been shaking for the last 60 seconds. Let it not. Now, let not. The other word I want to look at here is the word your. It's a personal possessive pronoun. Right, Miss Hill? Yes. It's a personal possessive pronoun. So what this verse is saying, again, I'm very redundant when I read Scripture. So this is saying, let, do not give permission to your heart, yours, not mine, not your wife's, not your husband's, not your kids, yours to be troubled, to be stirred up. Do not give your heart permission to be troubled. Do not give trouble permission into your heart. Proverbs 4.23, we can, a lot of us can quote it. Guard above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. Why would the Bible tell us to guard our heart so much? Why, if, if, if what I love about uh, spirit-filled folks sometimes is we get so spirit-filled that we're not word-filled enough. You ever heard somebody say, my heart's leading me to do something? Isaiah says the heart's deceitful above all things. So whenever somebody says, my heart's telling me, I'm like, oh, I want to check it. Because your heart's only going to tell you what you allow it to say. And it's only going to say what you allow to come in. So Jesus is saying here, let not your heart be troubled. Only in the areas that I have authority can I give permission. This is why it's so crucial to understand the word you're there. My wife and I are one in the spirit. We are one flesh. But I do not have the final authority of her heart. Why? Because I don't know the condition of her heart like she does. I can't 
control access 100% of the time to her heart, and she can't control it to me. Why? Because I'm the only one that knows the real condition of my heart. So the reason Jesus is saying, let not your heart be troubled, is because he understands that the only person that can actually give real and true stewardship and guarding and protection of your heart is you as the individual. We have to guard it. Now, realize, this doesn't say that trouble is not going to try to get in or there's not legit reasons you should be troubled. Right? Like, if you get that, that letter in the mail or if you open up your bank, your, your, this happened to me one time, I thought that I paid the house note. Right? Like, the house note, not the electric bill, the house note. Right? And you know how you just get in a habit and you, like, minimize things, you pay the next bill? Well, they were still doing the little buffering thing. Well, the payment didn't go through. I didn't know this. So we're, we went shopping one weekend. I'm like, oh, we got extra money. No, we don't. <laughs> but we went shopping. And I go home, and I'm like, oh, we never had extra money. We didn't pay the house note. <laughs> now we in a pickle. That was reason to be troubled. Like, really, that's, that's a legitimate reason for trouble. To, but I had to let not trouble have permission to dominate my heart because if trouble gets in my heart then trouble begins to come out of my mouth and what comes out of my mouth steers a ship James 3 so I've got to guard my heart you want to know the number one problem I believe in what Lee was talking about with the division in our nation is people aren't guarding their heart everyone is taking everything personal everything doesn't matter what you say. If I say that I don't like the color blue, everybody with a blue shirt gets offended. I happen to like the color blue, but you understand what I'm saying. If I say that I don't like college football, then everybody in the room who likes college football will automatically offended. Why, instead of what's happening is instead of guarding our hearts, we're having open houses. We're just like, hey, my house is open. Bring anything you want in. Because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to make anybody upset. I don't want to make anybody angry. I don't want to run the risk of hurting somebody's feelings. So I would rather allow you to dump all of your emotional and mental baggage on me. And I'll just take it because I'm a strong person. Help me, Jesus. Here's the deal. It is your job to guard your heart. It's not Pastor David's. It's not Pastor Lori's, it's not your husband's, it's not your spouse's, it's yours. Your job to guard your heart. Because if not, if we, here's the problem. How many of you know that Christianity is not about us? Right, I, I don't know if that's like really popular information anymore. But it's not. Christianity has never been and will never be about you and I. The best part of it for us is we're saved, we're saved from sin, we're born again, and we're in right standing with God. But the moment that that happens, as Paul says, I've become an ambassador in chains. We are now slaves to him, slaves to righteousness. Romans 6 says you are a slave to whomever you present yourself to be a slave to. We're going to be enslaved to something. I'd rather be enslaved to the guy that died for me instead of the guy that tried to kill him. 
So we're going to be enslaved to something. We're going to be giving permission to something. And so we have to remember that we are the stewards of it. We have to guard and protect and watch and steward our own hearts. Because if we're not careful, we're going to end up robbing God of the benefits of his investment. And here's what I mean by that. If I don't guard my heart and I allow trouble to come in and stir me up, Tarasso, let not your heart be troubled, trouble, Tarasso, to stir up. What will happen is, is I will become that two leader that is shaken up. But the problem is, is I'm supposed to carry living water. Right? I'm supposed to carry something different that the world can come to and find him. But what happens is when I allow trouble in, I get stirred up, and someone comes to me, and they need a drink. What happens when you open the top of that bottle? Now, instead of quenching someone's thirst, we still have a thirsty person and a mess. And I see this all over the place. I see people who are just collecting stirred up two liters in their heart. You want to know how I know this is not even a note? You want to know how I know that? Watch people worship. Because you can't worship if your heart's stirred up. You can't. Because think about when you have a drink that's stirred up. What do you do? It don't matter what you're doing, who you're around. Your number one job is to get that thing away from people and anything that gets sticky. Right? Like, I mean, think about when the last time you had a drink that exploded. You froze. And you, you kept the same frozen pose and you like ran to the bathroom or the kitchen or outside to get rid of it. It shuts down everything else because all you can focus on is the stirred up. All you can focus on is the condition. What we have is we have so many people who are coming into the house of God but are so stirred up that they can't participate in anything else. They can't be involved in anything else. And then they're wondering why church is boring. When let not your heart be troubled. Now, how? How do I let not? That's the key, though, right? Like, like, don't just tell me what to do. I need you to tell me how to do it. Because I will find a way to screw it up. <laughs> Guaranteed. If you just give me, like, go do this. I mean, Caitlin is very specific, right? Like, she's a specific individual. I am not. I am get the job done. Here's parameters, right, like bowling lanes. Just don't put the ball in the gutter, knock a few pins down, good. Her personality is like, I need you to throw the ball three lines from the end. I need it to spin at a certain rate, and I want you to hit at this exact spot because I want these exact pins to go down to the next shot and look like this. That's how she is. I am not like that. So when she says, babe, can you do X? I'm like, exactly how do you want X done? Because if not, I will do X and X will get done, but not really, right? I wasn't going to go there. I wasn't. Because y'all, what I tell you, like still, we've been married. We made married. We were married 10 years in August. And to this day, like three days ago, actually, the dishwasher is the number one contention in our marriage. I am to the point that I will take all of our dishes and throw them away and use paper and plastic for the rest of my marriage to just bring peace to the situation. That way, she don't have to wash them. And if it's Thanksgiving and we want the special ones, baby, that's all you. You got it. Because there is apparently a scientific formula with mathematic equations to load a dishwasher. 
I'm like, dirty dish. This is called a dishwasher. I take dirty dish. I put dirty dish in dishwasher. I close thing, push button, open it, dish clean. Right? And all the women want to throw something at me right now. That's exactly what's happening. But I don't even know where I was going with that. Not a clue. The whole point is, is we have to make sure that we're guarding our heart and not being stirred up. Because people need Jesus, and they're not going to get Jesus from you if the moment they come around you and you begin to open it, they get shot in the face with fizz. I mean, how terrible is that? If somebody, you want, here's, a, here's a free test, and this is not in my notes. If, if somebody comes to you, and they're needing prayer, or they need ministry, and your first thought is, well, wait, can I invite them to church this Sunday or not? Well, well wait, well, if this person's, person's going to be singing, I can't invite them. I don't like the way that person sings. Or, oh, oh, wait, not, not this Sunday because we're in that sermon series, and this is the tithing message, and they can't come this week. One of the most radical Christians I know got saved in that tithing message, so don't give me that. But if we start setting parameters and prerequisites on what, how we're going to do things for Jesus, your heart's stirred up. Guaranteed. How do we not let our heart get stirred up? It tells us right here. Like, that's how cool the Bible is. Like, he's going to say, don't do this, and this is how to do it. Let's go back to verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Number one, I got four things for you this morning. How do we let not, Jesus tells us. Number one is know where we stand. Know where we stand. Jesus says, believe in God. Now remember who he's talking to. He's talking to 12 Jewish men who have been raised in Jewish culture. They have been raised to honor the Lord. They have been raised to follow the Ten Commandments. They can give you, they can most likely quote massive portions, if not all, of the first five books of the Bible. And what he's saying is you believe in God. You know your foundation. When I was in youth ministry and I would have a teenager come to me and they'd be struggling with doubt or they'd be wrestling with this, and I would say, all right, go back to the last place you were sure of. What is that place? And I go, oh, I don't even know. Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Yes. Great starting place. Okay, let's go from there. Do you believe that Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago on the cross and his sacrifice paid for your sins? Yes. Okay, let's keep moving forward. When I know what I know, I have something to stand on. One of the things that I have found to be the most interesting about Christians is there's not a Christian... Who will, be, not, who will deny that Jesus' cross, the payment on the cross, 2,000 years ago, paid for their sin. Nobody will deny that. But when you ask them, can God heal somebody of cancer, doubt comes in. And I'm like, hold on a second. Let's, let's analytically look at this. You're telling me that you have unquestioned faith that a man you've never met died 2,000 years ago and his blood covered the sin of yours and every other. You can believe that. Absolutely. Don't question my faith. Okay. You can believe that. But that same blood that worked 2,000 years ago for your sins can't heal cancer? See, but we don't think of it that way because we're not guarding our hearts. We have to know what we know, and when we know it, we should stand on it. He's telling the disciples, believe in God. This is how you prevent your heart from being troubled. Believe in God. The second one here is he says, believe also 
in me. See, the question for the Jewish people was not, is God God? The question was, is Jesus the Son of God? And so what Jesus is saying, if you know the foundation, this is get good in a second, if you know the foundation, believe in me. What he's saying is, if God has already proven himself to you in one area, use that area for the faith you need to believe him in the area you had not seen him do anything yet. If you know me, you know I love hymns. Jesus, Jesus, presence, wait, Jesus, Jesus, how I've trusted him, how I've proved him, or and or, over and over. How I've proved him, what do you mean, Pastor Chris? No, what I mean by that is I've trusted him in things I have not seen him work yet, and then he worked in it. And now I can trust him more because I've seen him work here and I've seen him work here and I've seen him work here and I've seen him work here. And what, and what Jesus is telling the disciples is if you believe in God, use that faith to believe in me and I will prove myself to you. I'm going to prove myself to you. Because if you know your Bibles, you know that John 14 leads us to John 15 and John 15 to John 16, which is the two arguably most important passages or chapters for the theology of the Holy Spirit. He describes the helper. He says the helper's coming. I'm, the same spirit that's in me is going to come on you and you're going to be able to do great and mighty things because he's going to lead you to me and the spirit don't do nothing unless the father says. He's about to encourage him like crazy but he says I can't give you this information. I can't get you here if your heart is troubled. So it says believe also in me. Jesus is, John 1 tells us Jesus is the word and Jesus is telling them that if they believe in God, the traditions and the foundations of their faith, that they also need to believe in him and what he says. Later on in the chapter, Jesus says, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. Why is he leaving them peace? Because he's leaving. And the peace that he's leaving them is the peace that they've discovered and experienced while with him. I mean, do you, do you understand, I have a list of things that I want to see, like I, I say this all the time, I hope there's like a highlight room in heaven, where like, if you ever been in a D-Day museum, they got the little rooms you can go in and push the buttons and watch different little clips, right? they, they better have one in heaven, if not God, but make one just for me. Because there are certain things I want to see. I, ju I just want to see how this happened. I want to see the looks on the disciples' faces when they found out Jesus was sleeping in the storm. Everybody wants to see him walk on water. I'm sure that's cool. I'm not saying it is. I'm not denying it. What I'm saying, though, is I want to see the looks on, because that's the first time they ever seen him do anything like that. I want to see the looks on their faces, because these guys are professional fishermen. Like, like, if anybody knows the storm is bad, it's these guys, and Jesus is snoring. Like, he's out. I want to see the looks on their faces. That's the peace that they've gotten accustomed to living to. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, don't let your heart be troubled because my peace, I'm going to leave with you. Well, how? Right? Like how? Well, it's through the Holy Spirit, of course. But where do we find that peace? Philippians 4, 6 through 7. You got that one? Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. 
Take that, anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading, or prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I have it memorized in the New King James, so just humor me. I'm going to quote it a little bit. But it says, do not be anxious for nothing, but with everything through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And the peace that transcends, supersedes all understanding, will guard and comfort your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How do we get this peace? Well, it's, it's through, it just told you. Through prayer and supplication. Now, now when we're reading, we've got to make sure we write so it's prayer and the conjunction means the importance is equal on the word before it and after it, right? So it's saying prayer and supplication. How many of you pray? I'm going to try that again because that was really, really hoping the answer is better than the one we just got. How many of you pray? Praise God. Praise God. Ready? How many of you make supplication? Here, here's the deal. Ready? Ready? Most of you, most Christians make supplication. Most of them don't pray. Semantics, I understand, but it's important because we got to do both if we want the peace, right? Scripture breaks prayer down into four categories. Thanksgiving, adoration, confession, and supplication. Supplication is making your request known. That's your prayer request. You're supplicating. You're giving these things to God. Prayer is adoration, thanksgiving, and confession. If I'm just making my supplication, but I'm not adoring him, and I'm not thanking him, and I'm not confessing sin and confessing his authority and his power and his dominion in my life, I'm going to be missing out on peace. We have a lot of people who are making supplication and wondering why they're not feeling peace. It's because we're skipping literally part of the equation. But when we pray and we make our requests known, then the peace of God, which I love the New King James because it says transcends. Like starts a new category. It's so much more than we can fathom that it can't be put in the same category with your understanding. It transcends your understanding. It goes above and beyond outside of the framework that you can comprehend. It transcends your understanding. And will comfort our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I have to go to him and that peace comes. When I go to him, that's where I make the exchange. Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That means being evangelistic is light. That means standing up for the unborn is light. Figuring out how you're going to get your wayward child back home is not. So exchange your burden, the, the, the prodigal, for his, and watch what happens. Usually, we, we just give the burden and don't pick his up. I need to say that again. Far too often, we give him our burden, but we don't pick his up. And we say, God, I'm, I'm just waiting for you to move. Boo-boo, he moved 2,000 years ago. He's waiting for you to move. He's waiting for us to move. And it ain't his fault that things are the way they are. Right? 
Okay, make sure we agree on that. Hallelujah. Praise God. First, the first one is we've got to know where we stand. The second one is we've got to believe the word. The third one is we've got to be connected. This is how you let not your heart be troubled. Be connected. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 2. In my father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. This is such an encouraging thought, right? And if you're like me and you grew up in church and you read this, you're like, man, I'm going to have me this ridiculous house one day and it's going to be amazing. And what I love is when Christians start to customize it with things that I don't even know if scripture says this. But right, I'm like, what's your mansion? Like, oh, mine's going to be on the beach, right? Mine's going to be in the mountains, Right? Uh, British, one of my brothers said his front yard's going to be a beach and the backyard's going to be mountains. I'm like, hey, go for it, brother. That's faith. Hallelujah. Praise God. Not at all what this verse is talking about. It's not talking about your customized Airbnb for eternity. That is not what is happening here. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's letting you know that he's leaving you. Where did he, where did he prepare the place? On the cross. That's where he prepared the place for us. So that where I am, you may be also. We couldn't go by him if not for the cross. So I'm leaving you to go prepare this place for you. And when I come, I will receive you unto myself. That way where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is saying that I'm going to prepare a place for you that you couldn't prepare on your own. And I've got a spot waiting for you. All you got to do is let not your heart be troubled. I'm doing the work. Just don't get stirred up over stupid things. But you want to know what's the super encouraging part? It's not that you're going to have this mansion. He's going to prepare a place for you. Who's the you? Everybody who puts their faith in Christ. You know what that means? That means there are other people going through the same thing, looking for the same promise. That means there's somebody else out there right now battling the same thing you're battling or has battled it before you or will battle it after you. And because Christianity is not about us, God's going to bring you through it so you can turn around and pull somebody else through it when they get stuck in the mud. That's what God does. I'm preparing a place for you. Now, now the, the reason it's so important we have to understand is that if we're going to be part of this family in eternity why in the world do we not need to be a part of one now if there's this promise and this hope for these mansions and this great family when you ask people to describe heaven they're going to talk about family reunion they're going to talk about good food they're going to all yes okay sure even though we're not going to spend eternity in heaven necessarily, we're going to spend it here in a new earth. It's a whole lot of eschatology for another sermon. But what I'm saying is, is that we get ourselves all messed up because we just let our imaginations take control and don't read the Bible. When it's saying I'm preparing a mansion, I'm preparing a place for you, but it's not just for you. It's for everybody else who puts their faith in Jesus. You're not alone. You're not alone. But if you feel alone... It's because you have made yourself alone. And, we, we, and, and if COVID did anything, if COVID did anything, see, we, we, we get together for the pastor's meetings and we usually eat dinner first and it's usually a very intense conversation, right? It's either about LSU, the saints, or the government. Like that's usually what happens over dinner, Right? And when they were closing churches down, see, I think that was the distraction of the enemy. 
The reason why I think that is the enemy knows that we're really stubborn and we're going to have church. What he did, though, is initially everybody tried to get better at being online. I did. I tried to get better. I'm terrible at it. I hate being online. Like right now, if I stop and think about the fact that this will be on YouTube, I get really, I just start sweating and I just don't like it. But we, we, and I'm not saying that it's negative, I'm not saying it's bad, but what it did was it gave an excuse. Because now, I can get church right here. We're looking forward to this massive heavenly reunion, but we're not being a part of the work to get there now. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if you, he's going to prepare a place for you there. Why in the world am I not going to enjoy that now? Why am I not going to experience that now? You are not alone. The enemy wants you believe in the lie that you're isolated or you're on an island. Here's the truth. You've got God the Father watching. You've got God the Son making intercession. You've got God the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you in the whole truth. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, so let us run this race with endurance. And then you've got the brothers and sisters in Christ alongside of you. Here, the bottom line is, is if there's anybody in Christ that's isolated, it's because they've isolated themselves. They've said, I don't need that. I don't want that. I don't have time for that. I still want Jesus. And then Christianity, the enemy doesn't like us. I don't know if you knew that. Like he really, really, really doesn't like us because we have access to the thing that he got rid of and he lost. He hates you and I with an absolute passion to the point that he seeks to kill, rob, and destroy us. Y'all have watched the Nature Channel? Y'all know what happens to the antelope that gets away from the, the herd? That's the one high in his eat. Right? Like you never have to guess which one's in danger. 40 antelope, one. But what happens? Christians. It's a convenient. I'm, I'm going to just go here. Can I just go here? I am. I say that in Chalmette and they get mad at me. Like, you're the pastor. You can go where you want. I'm like, I know, but I'm not here, so I'll just say it. I'm, I'm in church. I'm doing good church. Ah, something busy coming up. Big time to work. I got to get out. I'm over here. I'm by myself. Oh, the enemy's kicking my butt. I don't know why. Why is it so hard right now? Oh, wait. I'm going to go back to church. Man, it just gets, it just feels easier. Like, I don't know why. It's the same situation, but it gets easier. Oh, no, it's vacation season. I have to take eight vacations in seven weeks, so I'll come over here. And I'll, but we'll watch online. I'm being careful. I won't beat you up too much. But we wonder why there's inconsistency in our spirit life. There's inconsistency in our devotion life. There's inconsistency in the blessings and the benefits and the promises of God in our lives. And we're wondering why there's inconsistencies. And then we start saying, God, are you inconsistent? The moment we start wondering if God's character is flawed, there's a problem. There's a big problem. He's had a flawless character record and integrity record since the dawn of time. And trust me, he is not going to ruin his reputation on you. He's not. He's just not going to do it. If he had integrity with Peter, he's got you, right? Let's be real. The first one was where we stand. The second one is believe the word. The third one is be connected. And the last one is have hope. Have hope that he was going 
to prepare a place. That regardless of how bad it looks, regardless of how messed up things can be, regardless of the storms and the trials and the battles and the fights and the diagnosis and the lack and all the things that come at you, whether it's we make bad decisions and then we're reaping what we sowed or we're literally just living life and the enemy's throwing things at us or just the chaos of the world around us. It, whatever it is, remember that he has overcome And because he has overcome, you and I have overcome. And I have to have hope. Because here's the deal. There are some times when everything about your situation is trouble. Everything. You are stirred up. And you have every reason to be. But I can't. Because even in my most stirred up moment, even in my most chaotic moment, somebody needs Jesus. Even in the the hardest moment, someone needs Jesus. So I can't allow my heart to be troubled. 2021, from Caitlin and I, has made 2020 look like a vacation. Just the different things that we've been through. And I've had to try and pastor in the midst of all of it. And I can remember talk. I went to lunch with Jerry Cochran and I'm sitting down at lunch with Pastor Jerry and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I feel like I am I just got my driver's license and I'm blindfolded and I'm driving down the interstate. Like, I am so lost. And he's like, good. And I'm like, why? That's not what you're supposed to tell me. He's like, good. I'm like, why? He's like, because he is forcing you to the feet of Jesus. Because the worst thing that I could do as a pastor is let life stir me up and get me all shaken up and get in the pulpit and open the top. But I can't. Because there's going to be somebody walking in those doors that has a son that's bound to heroin. There's going to be somebody walking in those doors who's just buried their mother. There's going to be somebody walking in those doors that's five seconds from a divorce. And I don't have time and Jesus didn't die on the cross for me to get in this pulpit and open the top and just throw up on everybody. Well, guess what? This might be Pastor David's pulpit on Sundays. Where's yours? Where's yours? I'll tell you where it is. It's wherever you go. It's wherever you're stationed. It's wherever you're positioned. It's wherever God has you. And if I don't have the right, if he doesn't have the right to get stirred up and shaken up and get up here in the pulpit and throw up everywhere, then none of us have the right to go to work, to go to Thanksgiving dinner, to go to Christmas dinner and throw up on everybody else. We don't have the right to do that. You know why? Because we gave up our rights when we said, Jesus, I'll follow you. We gave up our rights. There are all kinds of things that feel right. All kinds of things that seem justified. All kinds of things that, like, this actually seems like a good decision. Yeah, but does it glorify him? No, then it's the wrong one. It's the wrong decision. 
But if your heart is troubled, you'll make wrong decisions. If your heart is stirred up, if your heart is messed up, if your heart is broken, if your heart is just a mess, you'll make wrong decisions. Listen, the enemy knows he can't change your position in Christ. But if he can change the way you think about your position in Christ, he's winning. And how's he going to do that? By getting your heart stirred up. Let me tell you something. I think that if, if we could, as a, as, a, as a church, big church, big C, like across the board, if we could get back to a place where it was about my heart and Jesus, the simplicity of Christianity, my heart and Jesus. Jesus, you can have my heart. One of the songs that does not get old to me is, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment we glory, have your way in me. It's so simple. It doesn't have this massive theological mind-blowing moment. But it's just, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you the most influential, most deceitful, but also the most powerful part of my being. You can have it. Lord, give me a new heart. Notice, Romans 2 says, he's going to transform our mind. He renews our mind, right? I believe it's Jeremiah says, I'm giving you a new heart. Because he knows, I can't work with the old one. I can't. It's too stirred up. It's too broken. It's too jaded. It's too jacked up. I can't work with that one. I can fix your mind. I can renew my, I got to give you a new heart. That's Ezekiel. It says, I, I will take that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. 